State Representative Greg Rothman, a former Marine, is a small businessman who is passionate about making Pennsylvania a better place for creating jobs and prosperity for all of our citizens. I recently sat down with him at his office. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Welcome to Brews and Views. I'm Matt Briette, president of Commonwealth Partners Chamber of Entrepreneurs, and I am in Lemoyne, Pennsylvania, which is just across the river from the state capitol uh, in Harrisburg, and I'm in the offices of Greg Rothman, state representative. Uh, Greg, thanks for coming on Brews and Views. Thanks for having me. Well, uh, it's good to be here in your office uh, where you've uh, uh, built yourself quite a business uh, in the real estate uh, sphere. Before we get to all of that, how you got into business, of course, I want to hear more about uh, Greg Rothman growing up, uh, little Greg, and yeah. and then we'll get to how uh, you, I, I mean, as you're telling me, you you sound like the Forrest Gump of Pennsylvania politics, kind of the things that, that where you've appeared, uh, and we'll, we'll talk about some of those uh, fun things yeah, in I, your past. I, uh, I I always say if I read an autobiography, it's going to be entitled, excuse me, sir, you're not supposed to be here. I, I, I kept waiting for someone to tap me on the shoulder, but... Um, I decided when I was a little kid, probably eight years old, I wanted to work with my dad. And he had decided when he was eight years old, he wanted to be in real estate. So I wasn't even sure what my dad did when I was eight years old, but I knew I wanted to work with him. Uh-huh. So, um, so that you, that's from the time I was a, you know, a little boy, I'd follow my father around and, and he was Mr. Real Estate. So I, I became Mr. Real Estate. So where did you grow up? Uh, right here. was a family? Right here, right here in, in Cumberland yeah. County? Yeah, I was born in the city of Harrisburg in Harrisburg okay. Hospital. Uh, spent Saturdays at the downtown Y in the spot and Sundays at Market Square Presbyterian Church. Um, grew up in just um, just a little ways from where we are now in Hampton Township. Went to Cumberland Valley Schools from kindergarten through graduation and um, had a pretty idyllic youth. I mean... I, my mother said to me the other day, "You never say uh, no to your kids." I said, "That's because you always said no to us." I mean, we really, you know, we we anything we asked for was no, 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 no. So we we I started working when I was 11 years old. I got fired from my first job at age 11 because it turned out you had to be 12, and they oh. they uh, they didn't realize I was only 11. Uh, but they hired me back the next year. So uh, I I worked my way through kindergarten selling greeting cards, and I sold whatever could be sold. So we were selling chocolate, Wolfgang candies or greeting cars. I had a shoe shine uh, business where I go to your house and shine your shoes on your front porch. And so you had a, a entrepreneurial drive uh, early on. I love to work. Uh, I just love to work. Okay. And I, and I liked making my own money uh-huh. and it was fun to have my own money. And, and then you want, you want something and my dad would say, well, go make money to buy it. And then you'd have the money. And I'd say, well, I don't really want to buy that. <laughs> I work too hard for this money. <laughs> so your dad was in real estate? Yeah, still is. Mom, okay. Still is. And did your mom work outside the home? So, so my, uh, my parents met at Penn State. My mother was from San Francisco. Uh, her f- father was uh, chairman of Franklin Mutual Funds, which became Franklin mm-hmm. Templeton. He was one of the great mutual fund salesmen in the, in the, in the country. Uh, he moved back to New York, to Westfield, New Jersey, her senior year in high school. So she drove from California to uh, the East Coast. Apparently, she cried till they got to Indiana, uh, <laughs> but ended up, because she was at Westfield, ended up going to Penn State and met my father, who grew up on a farm in Lower Paxton Township, uh, raised steers. His father was a, a bureaucrat, um, worked at uh, labor, and uh, but those days, farmers had two jobs. So uh-huh. he, he had a farm, and he also worked for the state. And uh, brothers and sisters? I have an older sister. Um, she was... Uh, Went to Wellesley in Georgetown and moved to Dallas, Texas, is out in Dallas, Texas, and uh, much smarter than I am. And I have a younger brother who went to Penn State and then became a lawyer, went to Catholic, and started selling real estate. 
Uh, he was the athletic one. She was his, the studious one. And I was the middle child who was just trying to get attention. So Now, was there was po- political discussions around the dinner yeah, table? My, with, my with, dad yeah. loved to brag that in 1992, all three of his children voted for a different presidential candidate. And my <laughs> sister was for Perot, and my brother was for, I don't even know who the Democrat was, and, and Clinton, and I was yeah. for, for uh, I guess, Bush in 1992. Uh-huh. So, yeah. And, and we, my f- mother and father were both conservative, and, and they were Republicans, but we were encouraged to have our own ideas. And where did your ideas come from? I mean, how did you— So 1980, uh, yeah. watching Ronald Reagan and the presidential campaign, I decided that this was, this was inspiring to me, and, mm-hmm. and he gave me a whole different thought about public service and, and America and the exceptionalism of America. And so I joined the Teenage Republicans. I did not go to school on a single election day, primary or general election, throughout high school. My parents let me skip school and work the polls, which I did, <laughs> and knock on doors, and I love that. And, uh, but then I went to college in Amherst, Massachusetts— the most liberal town in the most liberal state, <laughs> the only state that, uh, I mean, it was just, it was Amherst, Massachusetts is, is as far left as you can get. And I'm at the university there, the flagship university, at the University of Massachusetts, and all of a sudden, my Republican conservative ideas, which I knew I, why I had them, I had to defend them constantly. Uh-huh. So, uh, Greg, when um, I said early on the, the Forrest Gump of Pennsylvania, kind of the, the, the fun fact about you is that uh, you've kind of appeared on the stage at different times and, and uh, epics in, you know, yeah. in American history. Describe some of those well, things that, that, as we were talking before yeah. we came on. Uh, I mean, part by luck, part by familiar connections. My grandfather wrote um, mutual fund books with William Casey, who was Reagan's uh, CIA director and was part of that sort of Hoover Institute, Palo Alto, Mm. uh, Ed Meese. And so my grandfather took me to lunch one day and he said, this is Donald Rumsfeld. Uh, He was a chief of staff at a very young age and a congressman. Now he was working at, I think at the time he was working for General Dynamics. And he said, I'm going to run for president. So I actually worked for Donald Rumsfeld when he ran for president. And and we exchanged, would exchange cards. I uh, got a job in Washington, D.C. the January of my sophomore year working for the Senate Steering Committee. And it just so happened, the building I was staying in, Barry Goldwater, uh, had had an apartment there. And we started exchanging notes. So I have... um, it was a pen pal with Barry Goldwater, and uh, I never got to work for Goldwater because I came to the Senate just as he was leaving. Mm-hmm. He left in '86, but uh, and then you know working for Jack Kemp in 1988. You know, being a college Republican or conservative in the '80s during the Reagan administration was, I mean, it was just a fascinating place. And to go to the White House and um, my Reagan story is that I was working on the Grove City Bill, which uh, my we we helped defeat, mm-hmm. um, which uh, it's a Grove City was pejorative in that term. It was about um, uh, the rest- restoration of making universities or public entities accept one dollar of public yeah. fund have to accept all the public rules. And mm-hmm. um, so I was at the White House for that, um, working in the Senate. And we were supposed to get our picture taken with Reagan at the end of the year um, or end of the time we were there. It was a summer. And Reagan had had um, surgery on his nose. He had some cancer. And um, we couldn't get our picture taken, but we got to shake his hands. Well, I wrote him a letter when I joined the Marine Corps and said, President Reagan, I was supposed to get my picture taken, and you promised to, you know, we'd have a rain check, and I never got that rain check. <laughs> and his office called me and said, can you come out? He'd love to see you. And you know when he greeted me, he said, I've been waiting for this picture. <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, so you, you end up in Massachusetts, uh, but uh, you ended up having quite a long career in the military. Uh, how did you end up uh, going into the military? Marine so, Corps? yeah, I, you know, I, I had great respect for the military, and, and my father served in the Army, and my grandfather was in the Navy. Um, but if you remember, I mean, I was born in 1966, so 
the the military post Vietnam wasn't a place that people mm-hmm. went. My graduating class, I think, had five hundred kids. One person joined the military. But I felt in college that I, I should join the military. And so I said to my father, I, I want to join the military. And he said, we join the military when there's a war. <laughs> so I remember we, uh, we bop, dropped bombs on Libya, and I said, hey, I think I'm going to join the military. That's not a war. We, we, we went and liberated, uh, I think it was Panama right after college. But So uh, on Wednesday, the ground war started, the first Gulf War, and on Friday I enlisted in the Marine Corps. And I didn't ask. I just went uh-huh. and enlisted. And I was selling real estate. I wasn't selling a lot of real estate, but I was selling real estate. And that war ended in two days. Um, but I stayed, stayed in the Marine Corps for 10 years. And uh, what experiences there? Marine yeah, I was in artillery. I was in artillery. I was in from 1991 to 2001. It was a relatively peaceful period after the first Gulf War. And, um, you know, there's some stuff going on in Kosovo. I actually spent time in Norway, uh, which, you know, at the time, when I would talk to my friends about Norway, they'd say, well, it's Norway. Well, now we know Norway's a key key to keeping the Soviet Union, then Soviet Union, now mm-hmm. Russia, out of uh, Europe. Mm-hmm. Any uh, uh, in interesting experiences there in the Marine Corps you want to share? I, I met, I was in a reserve unit in Reading. Um, I met some of the most amazing Pennsylvanians and amazing people. I mean, the, the Marines that I met, I mean, I just, and to this day, I mean, just the most impressive, committed uh, young, mostly men at the time. There's there's some women too, but uh, it, it taught me a lot. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, it was the best decision I ever made. So you get out of the Marine Corps uh, and decide to get back into business. Yeah. So I was in the reserves, so I was able to do real estate. Um, I would go in early and get out, get out mm-hmm. early and do my about forty days a year. Um, I started selling real estate right after I graduated from college. My first full year in real estate, I made eight thousand dollars total, all by myself, <laughs> uh, and I didn't know any better. Uh, my second year got a little bit better, and then I really started taking off. And it, if if you think of, of any business, it takes three years to get going. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I had a lot of mentors, and I had a lot of people who helped me um, along the way and giving me advice and, and teaching me. But mostly I learned by failure, and uh, I ended up being uh, the top agent at RSR. I started out as an agent, then became a partner. And, and in my peak, I was the number one agent in, in at least Cumberland County, mostly central Pennsylvania. The good news is my... My brother, his younger brother, has taken over that role. So it's like everything else. I teach him how to do a sport, and then he beat me in it. <laughs> That's right. Show him all the things not to do, right? Yes, Does, yeah, uh, yeah. And so uh, your involvement in politics during this time, what, uh, yeah, what are so, you doing? So yeah. when I was in the Marine Corps, I stayed out of politics. Uh-huh. I, I mean, I took seriously for eight of those years. Bill Clinton was my commander-in-chief, and I took it seriously, and, and I didn't get involved in national politics. I watched my friends do well. I cheered them on. Uh, they were leading the revolution in, in Washington. They were with— Newt Gingrich in the Senate, and um, Dave Bossie was a was a friend of mine from college who was doing the Whitewater investigations mm-hmm. in Clinton. And um, but as soon as I got out of the Marine Corps, um, I got a call from an old friend of mine who was running the Bush campaign uh, in '04 in Pennsylvania, Guy Schrock, and he said, "Hey, you ready to get back in?" And so I I worked on uh, Central Pennsylvania for Bush uh, Cheney in 2004, and I don't know how, but I ended up on stage standing next to the president almost every time he came to Pennsylvania, <laughs> which if you remember that year, he came to Pennsylvania a lot. Yes, yes, yeah. indeed. Uh, so eventually uh, you decide, hey, I'm throwing my uh, hat into the ring, and uh, you run for a state representative. Yeah, I mean, in between that, um, one of my friends back from young Republicans was Rick Santorum, and uh, mm-hmm. we, after he got out of the Senate, um, we, we started doing a lot of things together and, and spending time together, and... Um, when he decided to run for president in 2012, I started going on trips with him to New Hampshire and Iowa, and I spent about 100 and 
I don't know, 20 straight days with him. And when he'd go home, I'd come home to see my family. But uh, and he had, it was just an amazing experience literally sitting next to him as he won 11 states for president. So at that point, I decided I need to I need to be in, I need to put my name on it. I was happy to write checks and help other people. But there's something different about putting your name on the ballot. How, how was that, uh, you know, following a presidential candidate doing that, uh, you know, crisscrossing the state? And uh... it was it was unbelievable. I mean, we were in everywhere. We you know, started going to New Hampshire and Iowa and then South Carolina. And uh, I thought that once he did well in Iowa, which I felt he would do well. He'd do well in New Hampshire, and then at that point, I would leave the campaign. They'd bring in professionals who knew what they were doing, but uh, we never did. They, 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 we, had a, we had a pretty good team, and Rick was smart enough to do it himself and had some great people around him. Uh, but we ended up winning 11 states mm-hmm. and, and came close to winning the nomination. I mean, I, Well, and interestingly, um, I think a lot of the message that Rick Santorum had um, came through with uh, what President Trump uh, yeah. was running on. Is that, I mean, is that accurate? Would you Absolutely. say that the, the, the theme and kind of the narrative of the campaign Rick, were similar? Rick's campaign about blue-collar conservatives, about the people who were left behind during the, the Obama, uh, four years of Obama, when the rich got really rich and the rest of the people, you know, got stuck behind, um, resonated. And such a, Rick wrote a book called Blue, Blue-Collar Conservative, and um, he went to visit uh, then Canada, then Donald Trump, mm-hmm. uh, and Trump had the book on his desk. And he said, "I read the book," and Rick said, "No, you didn't." He said, "I'm telling you, I read the book," <laughs> and I agree with it. Uh-huh. And so, yeah, I, in, you know, I'm one of the people who studying political history. If there wasn't Barry Goldwater in 1964, there's no Ronald Reagan in 1980. I think if it wasn't for Rick Santorum in 2012, there's no uh, Donald Trump in 2016. Well, I can certainly remember uh, listening to uh, Rick Santorum as he was thinking of running again, and hearing his message. I thought. You know what? That is a message that's going to resonate, and it was interesting that you. Uh, we now have a guy who's a billionaire, right? Uh, yeah. uh, being the guy who's the the blue collar uh, champion yeah. uh, for folks. So, but I certainly uh, see that uh, Rick Santorum was, um, you know, making that uh, claim. Or, or well, and and he objected to something Romney did in 2012 when Romney. Remember, Obama said you didn't build that, mm-hmm. and, and people objected to it. And Romney did a whole night at the convention of. Yes, I did. Yeah, I built my we company. We built this. Yeah. Well, you know what? Donald Trump realized that he didn't build any of his buildings. Those blue-collar workers yeah. that worked for him, those people who worked in his business, built his company. And that's what we should be celebrating. I mean, it's n- nobody's successful in business by themselves. It's the people they surround themselves with. So uh, you end up uh, winning in a special election back in uh, 2015. Uh, how did you decide, all right, this is, the, this is the opportunity. This is the time for me to actually run for office. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a long time. I mean, a long time that I've said, God, just use me. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it hasn't always gone the direction I thought I, I would go or that I, I didn't expect. I, I joked about it, Matt that I hadn't been to the Capitol more than five times in my life, and that mm. included my fourth grade trip. <laughs> I really hadn't. I didn't know mm. anything about state government. I, mm. I knew national politics. I knew national issues. I didn't pay attention to state stuff. Um, we had all Republicans in Cumberland County, so it didn't really matter to me. They, they weren't as conservative as I was, so that sometimes bothered me. But um, I had never thought that I would be in the state Capitol working in the state government. But um, when Glenn Grell stepped down or went to Peasers, there was an opportunity and I thought, you know, you, you at least should you at least should see if you mm-hmm. like it. And mm-hmm. and I ran the first time thinking I'd stay and finish out his term, which was about a year. And then 
and I liked it so much. Um, I had such low expectations, maybe, but <laughs> I realized that you could get stuff done. Uh-huh. I realized that you could stop things that I thought were bad, and I realized that I had a perspective as someone who had been in a pure capitalist. I mean, the the, the real estate is a free market. Mm-hmm. You can use anybody you want to buy your house. You can use anybody you want to sell your house. It's it's nobody's forced to buy anything. You don't have to just buy in that store or that brand. Mm-hmm. It's the freest. Free market. I can sell my house myself. You can sell right? it yourself. Yeah, yep. Yeah. I can compete against your right. You, right. And 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 it's all commission. I I we tell people I woke up every morning unemployed, <laughs> and so to 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 go from um, to have that perspective where there's no guarantee that you're going to have be able to pay your bills next month, and that and that you know. Uh, I won't tell you who, but there was a debate in caucus one time, and they said the people. Someone said the people of Pennsylvania are waiting for us to act. And I stood up and said, no, 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 no. You don't understand. The people in Pennsylvania, especially the businesses and the people in the private sector, are hoping we don't do anything. Yeah. Get out Leave of the us, way, right? Get, get out of the way, yeah. So uh, you get in there. Of course, you've had all this experience in business and seeing where government stands as a hindrance. Um, what has surprised you the most about uh, being in the legislature? And uh, then w- let's talk about the things you hope to get done as well. Yeah, so my my first um, – realization was that I thought state government did 10 or 11 controversial bills a year and passed a budget. And I got there and we didn't get a budget done. It was December to get a budget done. It was supposed to be done in June. And we were doing hundreds of bills. And it's, it's something that's a little frustrating to me because like, I mean, I mean it when I say, you know, Ronald Reagan's my favorite president, Calvin Coolidge, my second favorite mm-hmm. president. I mean, the, the less government, yeah. I really, truly believe the better. We don't need government to fix all of our problems. And so there is a, a mentality over there that the people expect us to be doing stuff. They expect um, that the legislature will be legislating. And so we need to spend, I think we need to spend more time removing government barriers from people's in Pennsylvania's lives, not putting more in place. How, how are we doing? Much better. Okay. Much better. I mean, the, the, from, from the... Um, regulation reforms we're doing to privatizing pension to privatizing the liquor system just in the short time I've been there uh, I've been very pleased with what we've been able to do what's your assessment uh, here we're at the early stages of Governor Wolf's second term um, what what are you expecting to see are we going to, to see uh, a repeat of the first term um, with uh, I guess a couple of different uh, iterations of, of Governor Wolf um, what what's kind of the expectation going into well, this? Well, the, uh, the first couple of weeks he's gone far to the left. I mean, this this crazy minimum wage, uh, which look less than one half of one percent of all jobs in Pennsylvania are minimum wage. Minimum wage is not about a living wage. It's not about uh, taking care of your family. It's an entry level wage. Mm-hmm. I mean, my eight thousand dollars a year. Keep in mind, I worked about three thousand hours that year. So you can do the math. <laughs> I wasn't making anywhere near minimum wage. Yeah. But thank goodness that I had a chance. My son's in real estate, and I told him, you want to make $30,000 your first year and 32000 your second year and thirty three your third year? Or do you want to make $8,000 your first year and thirty your second year and sixty your third year, and then how high is up? I mean, that's—so he's come out strong with that. Um, we, there are studies showing we're going to lose 50000 of the 100,000 minimum wage yeah. jobs we have. They don't care. Yeah. They're willing to sacrifice those to, for an agenda, which is a political agenda. He came out and said— Hey, now that I'm done running for governor and been reelected, let's legalize marijuana for recreational purposes. Nobody's talking about the fact that you can't drive a forklift or work in these blue collar jobs 
with marijuana in your system. Well, to me, that's because uh, that, that is being driven simply by the fact that uh, spending is outpacing revenues. And this notion that uh, marijuana is a pot of gold uh, from a taxation standpoint. Pun yeah, yeah, exactly. So <laughs> um, I, that I to did, me is what's I, driving I the, it, which the, is the, unfortunate. The, I did the math. The, the auditor general said it was going to generate, like, let's say, $500 million in taxes. Mm-hmm. So nobody would give me a tax rate. So he said, well, it would be about what we do on cigarettes. Well, we don't tax cigarettes based on a percentage. We tax it based on a cigarette, mm-hmm. and it's $1.20 per cigarette. So you start doing the math. I said it's 32%. So we're going to smoke, the Pennsylvanians are going to smoke <laughs> $1.5 billion worth of marijuana to generate $500 million. First of all, uh, I don't even know how much marijuana costs, but that seems like a lot of marijuana. Mm-hmm. Second of all, uh, as one of my friends who was in, the, um, in California said, when they legalized marijuana in California, the people who've been selling marijuana illegally for 50 years didn't all of a sudden start paying taxes. Right. Like there's still a black market. People are, you know, so, so we're not going to generate. And, and the auditor general answered my question by saying, well, we took Colorado, which is smaller than Pennsylvania and figured we you do, we took their numbers and, and extrapolated our numbers based on our population. Well, Colorado is not Pennsylvania yeah. and, and we don't have Boulder. Right. <laughs> Well, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out because I think, uh, you know, we see it in the polling that there seems to be broad support for this. Uh, um, is there going to be uh, much pressure in the legislature to move uh, legislation? To- yeah, and I voted for medical marijuana. I voted for it because of the little girl in my church who has epilepsy or the, mm-hmm. the, um, the guy who committed, the Marine who committed suicide because he had PTSD or the cancer patient who, you know, was, was losing her appetite because of chemotherapy. Um, but I think there are consequences that we haven't fully discussed. And, you know, for me, I have a libertarian streak, too, that says, hey, you're an American. You should be able to do whatever you want, except for the fact that let's be aware of what 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 we're doing, too, that there are dangers. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, this is still a state that you can ride a motorcycle without a helmet on. Um, but, you know, we have other rules that don't make any yeah. sense. Well, and, and if I, if this, just my opinion, if our driving factor is because we need more money, that is the wrong reason Absolutely. to be going this route. Yeah. Uh, there, For me, the medical marijuana was somewhat of a no-brainer in that, uh, look, if there are benefits for people who are suffering, uh, we ought to be providing that. And it's not about getting high. It's about yeah. treating a, a problem. So um, that's where, unfortunately, I think the drivers uh, in the budget are uh, causing people to look for free money and um, uh, legalizing marijuana seems to be uh, one of those things. Well, uh, on the policy side, Greg, what are some of the issues that you're passionate about, that you get fired up, that you're leading in um, in the legislature? So uh, early in my, I've only been there three years, early in my career, the American Cancer Society came to me and said, we have determined without any refute, you can't refute it, that the higher we tax cigarettes, the less people smoke. So the higher we tax something, the less people do of it. Mm-hmm. So my response is, why are we taxing productivity? I mean, what we, we have this corporate net income tax, which is 9.99%. It's the largest in the world, I think. Mm-hmm. It makes no sense at all. We're competing against other states that have 599 New York, Governor Cuomo is running ads saying, come to New York, bring your business to New York. We should lower the corporate net income tax down to 3.07% because we do have a flat tax mm-hmm. with our personal income tax, but 97% of the businesses use that anyway. So the idea being, if we're taxing cigarettes higher to reduce it, if we're taxing businesses higher, we're actually reducing Reduce that. Reducing yeah. yeah. And, and, and it's been proven with the 
Kennedy tax cuts, with the Reagan yeah. tax cuts, even with the most recent, the Bush tax cuts, the most recent Trump cuts, the, the lower the tax rates, now you can't get down to zero. I mean, I was an Art Laffer fan. Yeah. Um, you can't get down to zero, but there ought to be a rate that causes people to want to work and produce and bring their business to Pennsylvania. Because now we're competing against Maryland and, and West Virginia and Ohio and New York for our businesses. Well, it seems that uh, Governor Wolf is on board with at least half of that, right? I mean, he's, he's talked about wanting to reduce uh, business tax rates, uh, but there's a big but in there, right? Uh, well, sure. Well, yeah. it's, I mean, it, it, the broadening the tax by doing combined reporting, which um, some states do, but nobody's been able to give an answer that it actually it, it makes any sense, um, and, and it creates more regulation for business, which we that's the other big problem. I mean, we we burden our businesses with regulations, and, and we have all these um, burdens on getting into business and starting businesses uh, that are just going to make it harder and harder. So if you do combine reporting. Um, uh, which is whereby uh, um, revenues that are earned in another state are somehow calculated in Pennsylvania's tax collection. So the governor wants to empower the uh, treasury. Uh, if sure. you will, to collect taxes that are earned in another state. Is that an accurate yeah, well, way of or, describing Or it? you have to defend why it wasn't earned oh, here. Yeah. And, okay. and uh, I don't use the word loophole because laws are laws yeah. and people are supposed to use the laws. But um, it, it's incorporating in another state. Well, look, there are companies that incorporate in other states. Make Pennsylvania popular for corporations to incorporate in and they'll come to Pennsylvania. But they don't just go to Delaware because of the tax laws. They go to it because of the courts as well. So uh, uh, in addition to kind of the business climate, would you describe that? that that's kind of your, your number one passion? Absolutely. Well, that and, and making, um, making Pennsylvania open for business mm-hmm. and, and for the job creators. And, and it, we, we have in Pennsylvania the greatest labor force in the, in the world. We're a, we're a state where all the great energy was started. I mean, the coal here, oil was started here. Now we have natural gas. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is this uh, nu- nuclear. Th- I mean, this is a state where we should use energy, which I believe energy and freedom are um, go hand in hand. And the, the more energy the United States produces, now we're not depending on uh, the Middle East, the more freedom we have and the more prosperity we have. And we should be taking advantage of that. Mm-hmm. Well, so, Greg, what, what does the future look like for you? Where, where do you uh, think you'll be in 5, 10, uh, 20 years from now? Yeah, I um. I mean, I used to spend a lot of time doing that. Yeah. I mean, I've got goals every year, and uh, I mean, I'm I expect to be in Pennsylvania. Uh, you you had uh, mentioned about what your dream job is. Yeah. I mean, my dream job is selling real estate, so um, I'm happy to go back to that at any time. But um, I'd like to I'd like to get stuff done and and get Pennsylvania turned around. Um, the uh, state of Maryland. You drive into Maryland down 15. There's a sign up that says "Open for Business," and I want Pennsylvania to be a, a business-friendly climate. And, and to do that, there's a lot of work. Um, but I expect that um, I'm still going to be here. And when I, when I got elected the first time, someone said, well, you're the most inside outsider ever. And I <laughs> said, well, yeah, because I've been here all my life mm-hmm. and I'm not going anywhere. And um, you know who I am. And, and people around here know who I am because I've been here all my life. Well, as we wrap up here, anything good you're reading you want to others yeah, to know about? Yeah, so um, I, I, I just finished Nicole Krause, who's a fiction writer, a book called um, Forest Dark um, about Kafka and Kafka fakes his death in Israel. It's an interesting book, but she's one of my favorite fictional writers. Uh, I'm reading Steven Pinker's huh? um, Enlightenment Now. Mm-hmm. I, met, I met him out okay. in San Francisco last uh-huh. summer, and uh, 
he, he uses all the metrics of progress. And he's a progressive. All his friends are liberal progressives. And he says, look, since the United States, the last 100 years, since the Industrial Revolution, every single metric we have made progress in. I mean, every quality of life, whether it's mm-hmm. air conditioning your house mm-hmm. or the life expectancy or um, health, wealth, comfort, this is because of America. Yeah. And America is exceptional. Right? Capitalism, yeah. freedom, prosperity. And it's America. Um, I mean, since the, the, the Declaration of Independence, life expectancy has doubled yeah. in the world. It's because of America. So he says to his progressive friends, I thought you guys care about progress. Yeah. Why are you beating up on America? <laughs> and then I'm reading... Um, uh, Ed Henry's got a book about Jackie Robinson called Faith. Ah. Jackie Robinson's my favorite baseball player. I'm a big baseball fan. I wear number 42 for Jackie Robinson, not just for what a baseball player he was, but for what he did for That's this country uh, and, and what, what he was able to accomplish for the country, but about his faith and how his faith led him. Very good. Well, uh, Greg Rothman, uh, state representative, I wish you uh, all the best uh, in this legislative session. I appreciate your joining me here on Brews and Views to talk about uh, yourself and uh, where you want to see Pennsylvania in the future. Thank you. You've been listening to Brews and Views, a production of Commonwealth Partners Chamber of Entrepreneurs. Find us on Facebook at Commonwealth Partners and follow Matt Briette at M-A-T-T-B-R-O-U-I-L-L-E-T-T-E.